On this episode, we discuss the legend of the roller. <laughs> I can't even say the title of that lap. Okay. Everyone and welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen, and I can't wait to tell you later in the show about how you can see our online live shows and our in-person live show in Los Angeles on October 19th at vidiotsfoundation.org. But I'll tell you about that later in the show. Yeah, do that later. Uh, right now, let me explain what this is that you're listening to. This is a podcast. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> Are you really so starting with first principles? <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of a, a thing called really simple syndication? It's, uh, it's abbreviated as RSS. And, okay. Uh, anyway. That's what they say. Keep it really simple syndication, stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally, and today, we talk about a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. Uh, Old Dan Qualifications <laughs> McCoy. <laughs> this is the month out. of September, which means that in Flophouse lore, it is... Small timber or small timber. Small thank you. Depending on which <laughs> sect you belong to, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, where you worship. Uh, and uh, we are in the midst of our 90s flashback, even though mm-hmm. these films are in no way, I'm sure, uh, big enough to uh, be affected by strike stuff. Uh, we are going back in time. And um, in this case, we're talking about a film called The Legend of the Rollerblade 7, part of the Rollerblade 7 series of films. Dan Um, is uh, being charitable by calling it a film. uh, Yes. We'll allow it. As Stu pointed out, we we watched The Legend of the Titanic. This is The Legend of the Rollerblade 7. We're going through all of the important legends in... In mythology, uh, we all know the tale Mm -hmm. Uh of the Rollerblade 7 and how they... Now, which which are the seven in this this movie? So that's the thing. This movie implies that we do know the legend of the Rollerblade 7 because they don't explain anything. And Stuart will get into summary, but Stu, first, let's, let's talk about the production history of this film. What is that? So this is the third in a series, correct? Now, often the third in a movie series is an original new movie. But in this case, Hmm. what did they do? It's a it's a mishmash of the first two, right? It combines the content in the first two. Oh, is almost that what like, it is? Uh, yeah, almost it's, like it's, the way that Shogun Assassin combines various Lone Wolf and Cub movies to a single movie that is then dubbed into English. Yes, they combined footage from the Rollerblade 7 and Return of the Rollerblade 7 into Legend of the Rollerblade 7. One would, now I was not aware of this, one would think that if you're taking sort of that kind of like best of approach with a lot of material to choose from, you would end up with a more sort of fleet and focused movie. Than this yeah. one. I think I think you're I think you're uh, overestimating how much how much material, how much great material they had to choose from. Now I think the easiest way, I think the before we really get into this movie, we really have to address the fact that it is uh the creation of uh what screenwriter star screenwriter is in quotes, I guess. Mm. Uh what Scott Shaw is that so his name? So Scott so star and martial artist uh Scott Shaw and director Donald G. Jackson, best known probably for Hell Comes to Frogtown. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is a movie that I recall basically enjoying and ha- having a comprehensible plot. <laughs> it's, I, I'd go as far as to call it Rowdy Roddy Piper's second best movie. 
It's yeah. very mm-hmm. far behind his first best movie, They Live, sure. which is great. But mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 a movie that has um has a yeah has a story. It looks like it was made using money to pay for things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but the the key to this mo- to Legend of the Rollerblade Seven is that it uses uh, it implements Zen filmmaking. Yes. Which Zen filmmaking, at least according to Wikipedia is that it is a method of filmmaking where you just film whatever you want, and I don't think you have a script. You do not have a script, no. Yeah, the film Which, is built as it goes, I guess. So when when we make fun of a movie, and you're listening to the, the episode with your grandma, and your grandma's like, oh, but everybody worked so hard on this. At the, in this case, you can say, well, they didn't even have a script, and they just did whatever they wanted. So I guess yeah. they didn't work that hard. They didn't work that hard. <laughs> I got I I also... That's what you tell your grandma I, when she's yeah, getting Yeah, because I, I do often discuss uh, Zen filmmaking with my grandma, and especially the, the Rollerblade 7 films. She's a diehard. She loves I them. presume, and I may be wrong. Wait, but- your grandma was in Die Hard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, my grandma is Alan Rickman. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, she no. It's, so it, recently. No, she, she actually faked her death and, so that she could go back to being my oh, grandma nice. full time. Oh, uh, okay, that makes That's sense. That's very actually. sweet of her. Um, yeah. Uh, She's like Rick Moranis. I, <laughs> She's like, it's time for me to take care of my family and not be a movie star anymore. Oh, I may yeah. be wrong in making this Alan, presumption. Alan Rick Moranis is the person I'm talking to, the uh-huh. combination of Alan Rickman and uh-huh. Rick Moranis, yeah. But like, but like a Boba Hotep version. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I may be wrong in presuming this, but I kind of presume that if this is the way the movie was made, mm-hmm. it was probably, maybe I'm wrong, shot in sequence, which is not a thing that movies normally are done, you know, like occasionally a film will be shot in sequence if the director's like, I think it's very important to like go through this journey. Like yeah, it'll I mean, help I mean, the I mean, actors. Only, only E.T. was shot in sequence, Dan. Yeah. Was Weirdly it? enough, Boyhood yeah, well, not shot in sequence. No, Boyhood was shot <laughs> out of sequence. No, E.T., E.T., my, my understanding is that, because uh, Spielberg wanted the relationship between the child actors and E.T. to be as real as possible. Okay. He, he kind of replicated that. Well, I bring it up only to say that there are some shots towards the beginning of this movie where I'm like, oh, these are like, like, in, like I have no idea what's going on, but individually these are some very like pretty shots like that that look good for the budget, like are, cl- are sort of cleverly in that low budget way using abandoned spaces or weird looking buildings or whatever to create a world. And then as the movie went on, I just felt like it got lazier. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hard. I think my guess is that some of that is probably the, the, the result of it being literally constructed out of the footage from two other movies. Mm-hmm. And that maybe the better stuff might be from the first movie and the Could worst be. stuff from the second movie, but I'm not sure. Also, even in that, that's the movie does it like characters don't make sense from one scene to the next. And they do, there is a good, there's an interesting use of, uh, of Los Angeles area locations. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're very much at uh, using at least an establishing shot of the Griffith Park Observatory at yep. one point. And they're in another place that I think might be Vasquez Rocks, which is a really cool uh, kind of uh, desert area, but could be any. The LA River that you see in a lot of films, those uh, that concrete drainage thing you'd recognize. Is yeah, that there. they sing about in Breakfast at Tiffany's. LA River, <laughs> drier than a mile. So, <laughs> Stuart, you have the unenviable task of trying to synopsize this film. Uh, let's see how I'm going to do goes. my fucking best, <laughs> but it was a, it was a challenge. The challenges presented me were uh, the fact that this movie is only available on YouTube and the sound mix is 
bad. You can say <laughs> yeah. bad, right? Bad. Yeah. Well, the other challenge is that this is not. I think that we have talked about it, but not maybe made it express. This is not a normal. <laughs> this movie. is probably the least linearly told film we've ever done on the Flop House, and it is. It is one that is. It is. I feel like Neil Breen watches this and he's like, have these guys never seen a movie? Like yeah. what's going on in this thing? And, uh, but, but it, are you going to talk about the cavalcade of celebrity brothers that appear or do you want to introduce them as they show up in the film? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to all of them. So okay. the and by movie, cavalcade, I mean too. Yeah. <laughs> the movie, uh, the movie opens, uh, with a woman in a gymnastics bodysuit <laughs> named Stella Speed. Uh, which, okay, by the way, you, I may I've, fuck up some of these names. You guys, please correct me. I had trouble following. I cannot. Yeah. I don't know who any of the characters yeah. in this movie so were. So we, <laughs> we have Stella Speed, and she is given a samurai sword by Father Donaldo, played uh -huh. by director, uh, the director of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and he gives her the sword before she goes into the dangerous wheel zone, which we'll later learn the wheel zone is a place where people can only skateboard and ride around <laughs> on roller skates. Yes, <laughs> Sounds by dangerous. You will obviously see. Uh, learn even though, more about even it. though later the police officer character that we see enforcing this rule is herself not on wheels. I mean, you, you got to admit though that this movie predicted uh, the future. You know, rollerblading is the major, the only way we get around these days. What's yeah. so funny is so later on, and Stuart will get to this. The villain is talking about how he invented well, a skate. Maybe. So he invented <laughs> a skateboard and it ruined society <laughs> as if he was like a nuclear scientist or something like yeah, that. And anyway, great. we'll get to it. So Father okay. Ronaldo, he's from, he's like, it's like the Institute of Light or something like that. The Institute yes. of the Master of Light. And he is, he's like a, imagine a post-apocalyptic priest character who's like part cowboy, part samurai. That's kind of the whole aesthetic. Yeah, part but by post-apocalyptic, I mean like they're just wearing like pads and stuff. It's not like they actually <laughs> aged any of their clothing. Um, okay. <laughs> no, it all looks new and they're in the desert a lot. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of it looks like a like a like a like a Tom Petty music video, and I think that's probably <laughs> intentional. Um, so we then have uh, we have like an evil guy. I think this is is this Joe Estevez at this point? Yes, I'm this is Joe Estevez as Saint Offender. Yep, mm -hmm. Saint Offender, who's some kind of a bad guy. He and he, yeah, he you you would recognize him because he looks like an Estevez. <laughs> if an Estevez, he looks like yeah, if looks Martin, like Martin Sheen, Sheen. Yeah. was not living life as well as he is being Martin Sheen. I mean, he yeah. looks like what he is, which is Martin Sheen's less successful brother. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so he sends his henchmen outside of the wheel zone mm -hmm. to kidnap a psychic named uh, Sister Sparrow. Mm -hmm. uh, so his his reasoning is so he can get revenge. Again, that's not 100% clear at this point. He is one of uh, he is one of three villains in the movie whose relationship to each other and goals are not never entirely clear. Yes. So uh, then we see Father Donato speaking with Sister Sparrow. She's a psychic. Uh, she wears like a weird little Pope's miter type thing and a pair of sunglasses. It's like a Pope's miter with a German cross on the top. Yes, yep. Um, and she sees a vision of, uh, of a samurai, a pacifist, and a clown. <laughs> quite, quite a trinity. Yeah. Um, and this uh, also sees a plane crash and a naked bride covered in serpents. Wow, my notes early sure. on were much more defined than later on, you'll see. <laughs> well, no, but I, here, but when the movie starts, you're like, okay, this is a weird movie, but like there is some sort of plot that you yes. can almost follow. Yeah. Like there are mm -hmm. things that are being explained and said and that all, it's like the movie dissolves away. Someone and has you, been given a mission. <laughs> yes, yeah. 
Um, so she, after, after this vision, she goes for a walk and is then kidnapped by a ninja. This, uh, happens multiple times. There's a lot of generic uh, ninjas in this. Father Donaldo summons Hawk Goodman, played by <laughs> Scott Shaw, who shows up to the Griffith Park Observatory and then walks around for a while. A long time. He, as, to describe him, he looks again like, like some weird fantasy where Tom Petty is in a in a post-apocalyptic movie, but that would never happen in the real world, right? Um, so he is a, uh, Hawk Goodman is a samurai warrior who rides around on a motorcycle, uh, like a real street samurai. Um, yeah, and so the trivia for this uh, movie uh, <laughs> claimed that this actor is like one of the only like, rated people to know this Korean martial art or whatever. It feels like trivia written by him because I will say that Very throughout possible. the movie, he does not seem to be particularly adept at martial arts uh, necessarily. I mean, he kicks higher than I could, that's I for mean, sure. I you can't really judge him. I'll say for him. His, the, the people challenging him, I feel like, are not, are not really testing yeah, yeah, any yeah. skills. But he has written a number of books about Taekwondo. Mm. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so he, uh, Father Donaldo... Uh, uh, wants him to go rescue uh, Sister Sparrow, who is is Hawk's actual sister. Her name mm-hmm. is Sparrow Goodman. Um, they and he almost promises, make a joke about that. They kind of make a joke about how she's both his sister and a sister, like a nun. For his trouble, uh, he prom- Hawk is promised a bride for doing this. Um, and then Hawk leaves, uh, rides his motorcycle to the wheel zone, where he then has to leave his motorcycle because though it's a wheel zone, Motorcycles not that, not don't that kind of wheel. Not that kind of wheel. <laughs> no, no. Um, not and at then all. he leaves his motorcycle, and then it just disappears. <laughs> yeah, the motorcycle yes. disappears. Magic motorcycle. It's like it's mm-hmm. kind of like the ZZ Top car. There's a yeah. Oh man. <laughs> See, I could have watched an hour and a half of ZZ Top videos, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you can do that on YouTube. Um, yeah, you have the option. Yeah, yeah I can exists. just do that whenever. Go out. Okay, we do live now, in the best of all possible worlds <laughs> on that one we, rubric. We have, now we have uh, kind of a series of character introductions <laughs> with their uh, with their credit, like who the actor is. Um, the first one, of course, uh, was uh, I, I thought of Dan McCoy immediately because it is Rhonda Shear. I was so excited. I had no idea <laughs> that Rhonda Shear was in this movie before starting it. And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, like, the, the funny thing about this movie, like, as Stuart suggests, and I think we should go into more detail, is, like, as various characters are introduced, they get a big, like, credits title credit. Card, like, they yeah. get they a full screen title. title card that says their of name the, and their character. Or just the yes. actor, actually, right? It's the way just the, the actor. They, they might, they, it's something they kind of did in old silent films, where they would have the character name and the actor's name when the character was introduced, but here they just show the actor's name. Right, and this continues through, like, most of the movie, and it's funny, like, I I really feel like it, it comes across like they're like, can you believe we got someone with a name you would recognize? Not like a star, none of these people are big, but like, hey, look. We got Rhonda Shear to be in this movie, and here she is. <laughs> and her her presence also meant that this movie was shown on USA Up all night, right? Uh, I don't. Yes, I believe I so. So I mean, was. let's yeah. explain for the audience for anyone. Yeah. Who, it's hard to imagine anyone in the audience doesn't know who Rhonda Shear is. But Dan, can you explain for anyone who's not as up on <laughs> on nineties uh, late night softcore with the nudity yeah. cutout bro- broadcasting as we are? <laughs> for anyone who was not a pubescent boy in uh, the late 80s, early 90s. 
Yes, Rhonda Shear, uh, best known for hosting USA Up All Night, which uh, one of the two hosts, Gilbert Gottfried, also hosted it. Um, I believe he was on Fridays and she was on Saturdays or something. But um, uh, this was a very way similar of, energy from the two of them. <laughs> yeah, this was a way of repackaging uh, trashy movies for late night viewing in the same way that like you would have like vampire or something do like horror movies. But these like, this would be Rhonda Shear, you know, lounging about in lingerie or something, introducing, lingerie. Uh, you know, bikini yes, car wash or whatever. I, mean, I feel like a lot of it is. Uh, <laughs> so she would show these like sex comedies with all the actual nudity cut out, but there would still be, you know, risque content, but it, yeah. It was a lot of, a lot of thongs. It would be a lot of, a lot thongs, of thongs and bikinis. Yeah. Uh, and this obviously made a huge impression on me. Uh, and uh, last I checked in on Rhonda Shear, she was running a lingerie company. Right. And that was her late career uh, turn. So, Well, in this yeah. movie, she plays Officer Skates, a police officer in the wheel zone. Officer Daryl Skates. Officer <laughs> Daryl Skates. And she is shaking down a... Like a guy who looks kind of like a greaser type character, like it's a Tex heavily, Avery cartoon. Come it's to heavily life. hinted that he is the big bopper, and that yeah. that's the oh, plane okay. crash because later he's oh. looking for Buddy Holly, oh. and someone warns him, oh, "Don't so don't get on a plane stupid. because of a coin flip." So he's supposed. At first, I was like, "Oh, this is one of the millions of men who think Elvis is super cool and, and wants to be Elvis." And then I was like, "Oh no, wait, he's supposed to be the big bopper." What yeah. a weird, what a weird He's choice. He's there to bring some six-string okay. samurai flavor to everything. Oh. That's I guess so, yeah. Um, okay, so Hawk is then, uh, is traveling through the wheel zone. He is on foot. He does not have roller skates. And he is surrounded by a rollerblade gang, but he kills them all quite easily with his samurai sword. <laughs> he tracks down uh, Sister Sparrow and her, she has a, uh, a group of like uh, gang, like wasteland warrior captors. Uh, and they have like a brief fight that is stretched out because almost every like kick or knife throw or knife trick is repeated like four times, four to five times. Literally the exact footage is slow shown motion time, or yeah. different takes of the same thing. Yeah. At one point, Hawk throws his sister a knife, which she catches in her teeth. And then uh, she catches the butt of the knife in her teeth and then uses that knife to slash one of her captor's throats. But in context, I mean, like, it looks like she's just kind of, like, vaguely jabbing towards someone's yes. <laughs> neck. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think sometimes these things are repeated up to six times. Up like, to six I would times. not be surprised if you took out all of the reused footage in this movie. The movie was one-third as long. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, the fact is the whole movie is reused footage, too. I don't, think, yeah. I don't know if there's any new mo footage in it. But, yeah, you're right. There's a lot. There's a Stuart will get to it. There's a sequence at the very end where you see characters get into a car several different times over yep. and over again. Uh, so he, uh, but then Hawk, he, before he can save Sister Sparrow, Hawk is knocked down by a rollerblading metal minotaur ninja guy who will mm -hmm. be introduced later. Sounds as awesome. The, what, what Wish is I could have seen. <laughs> we are later <laughs> introduced to this character as the Fukusai ninja. Um, and he gets knocked out, and then the bad guys just take take the sister away. Mm -hmm. uh, Hawk visits uh, a psychic played by Karen Black, named mm -hmm. Taro. Yeah, who uh, he does uh, psychedelics with her, and they have a romantic vision quest. And he learns how to rollerblade. 
Yeah, she oh, gets one of the big. So that's when he's uh, learning how to rollerblade. I see. Yeah. Okay. He gets one of the big credits, and she's the uh, you know like look. I love Rhonda Shear, uh, but Karen Black is the one actual <laughs> like actor of note in well, this. She's the only Academy Award nominee in the entire movie. Yeah, yeah. and I don't know. You know, like she must have gotten. <laughs> You know, a nice little payday to spend one day feeding mushrooms to this man. <laughs> I'm not so sure if it was such a nice little payday. I think Karen Black is kind of a was. I mean, she's she's since passed, but was kind of a not an out of the ordinary person. Yes. Oh, yeah. you were saying that she's the only Academy Award nominee. I was wondering if John Cazale uh, was in this. John, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was one of his what five movies. No, he was, and he was only nom- he was only in movies that that were. Nominated for Best Picture, so I don't know and if— Wait, wait, I, wait. Was was this nominated for Best Picture? Let me, hold on. Let me check. Let me look at the Academy website. Let me start at the first year of the Academy Awards and move forward. No, just do a fine— I'm not seeing it. For— No, 1928, uh, no. 1929, no. 19—what well, if a movie about blades from, like, the 50s won? Yeah, I got to check that's 1930, actually a really no. Point. No, Legend of the Rollerblades 7 was not nominated for Best Picture, it turns out. Okay, that's weird. Okay, so— um. Wait, let me double check where I'm at. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't matter. Meanwhile, Sister Sparrow is been uh, is captured. She is being tormented and forced to dance. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> the Big Bopper character who we saw earlier uh, has a chat with a, like, this Oracle character who's sitting out on, a like, a beach chair in the desert um, played by, we get another credit, like Dan Shroud? Is this, is this Don Stroud? Don, Don Stroud, my mistake. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, don't, I don't know this actor's work, I don't think, so maybe I wasn't as excited to see his name. I I mean, he's been in he's been in lots and lots of things, you know. Okay. I, I, I love this convention, by the way, of sort of dystopian uh, action movies where, like, there'd just be, like, vast expanses of desert all around and then they're just like people <laughs> sort of just standing around and I'm like like where do you live how do you get here are you just waiting here for the protagonist to wander by what's going on later so he a gets lo- a lifeguard chair right yeah, yeah he gets a lifeguard chair and a lot of these sequences are shot kind of like the the like love montage from uh cool as ice where mm. vanilla ice is running around the like uh like partially built home with that girl or like riding his motorcycle out in the desert. That's what it yeah. reminded me of. Yeah. I'm just talking about cinema here, guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw, I saw it one time. I'm not as familiar. I saw it one time. Familiar. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm more of a cinephile. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay. Now we got another big star coming up. We have Frank Stallone playing the Black Knight. Yeah, this is the other celebrity brother, Frank now, Stallone. The Black, the Black Knight is one of the villain characters. He uh, seems to exist in this weird world where he can like, draw people into his realm. Yeah, there's something uh, kind of like David Lynch about this where he's like an evil force that inhabits some other underworld but can, yeah, people can end up there. But yes. we never see him anywhere else. I'm sure that has nothing to do with the fact that a lot of these people are probably available for a day. But, yes. you know. So, uh, the, I think Joe this, Estevez is the only one of these kind of large, middle name people that appears in more than one location in the film. Oh, interesting, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the... Uh, the Black Knight uh, has a face-off with Hawk. Uh, I, it's unclear to me whether or not this takes place currently or in the past. <laughs> I don't think it matters. Um, yeah, he, I thought it Black was a flashback, Knight, but I'm not sure. The Black Knight offers Hawk uh, power, but Hawk rejects him. 
saying that he, you know, he'll, he'll, uh, what, like side with the forces of like heart and light or something. Yeah. Classic some, legend of the Rollerblade 7 stuff. <laughs> this is, this, well, yeah, the, the, the hero of the Rollerblade 7 is always tempted and then rejects that temptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what Joseph Campbell said. There's some, so this movie has an interesting relationship with, uh, time and continuity because mm-hmm. throughout we're seeing Hawk. That's as one if way he's, to put it. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing Hawk as if he's never been to the wheel zone before. But early, the first time we meet him in the movie, isn't he like, oh, the last time I went to the wheel zone, I got, I, I, yeah, it was got, no good. So it's, it was a big the, the, payday, yeah. I was very confused about what was happening when in this movie. Luckily, it doesn't matter. None of it yeah. matters. So Hawk is now traveling on uh, one of those barren LA rivers and uh, comes across a clown warrior in kabuki makeup. <laughs> yep. Uh, they have very this kind of like long, like, not really a fight, but like a lot of posturing. All the fights mainly seem like a lot of like slow movement and posturing. Yes. Um, and they, they, the camera like whips around them and then they are attacked by like a gang and then they team up and fight together. Where at first this you thought they were fighting This was also confusing to me because there's no dialogue during any of this. So I was <laughs> like, wait, so now they're friends? I don't, I, I yeah. don't, yeah. And then they they team up with Stella Speed, the girl in the gymnastics outfit from earlier. Uh, and now, they, when you say gymnastics outfit, we should make it clear. This is a red yeah. leotard with a thong back, and much of the movie is made up of shots from behind, slightly below of her butt as she is rollerblading around. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's That was the part Dan said he thought was shot well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I so, mean, it certainly has a point of interest in the movie that has few. <laughs> yep, no, I guess you're right. I but mean, it's, it, it hints at... It hints at the movie gets like gross at a certain point. Like it becomes, it, you know, but it's- Oh, this when, is the, when she's getting her little bottom whipped? <laughs> yeah, when she's getting whipped by another thong uh, wearing uh, female warrior. And it's a, it's a, this, there that's, was something about- Elliot, just because that's what it's like in the post-apocalyptic future and it's being presented <laughs> plainly, doesn't mean that the director agrees with what's happening on screen. That's very true. That's very true. I shouldn't, I shouldn't confuse the message of the film with the, with, with the action of the film. Yeah, this, the message is clearly anti-whipping a butt in a yep. thong. Yes. Just so. because it's happening doesn't mean the director endorses it. It's just, um, like, okay. it's just like Wolf of Wall Street. You, you don't have, It's not approving of all this. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Okay, so our Or E.T. Steven Spielberg yep. was like, I don't want aliens to get kidnapped by the government. Hey, Hey, or for E.T.'s butt to be whipped. He, he was very, I, mean, I mean, that was a deleted that, scene, but yeah, he I mean, his body that. is built to prevent his butt. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't really have a, much of a butt. His lack of, a, of an evident butt really helps that, yeah. If yeah, if you want to follow that thing, you need like a <laughs> hockey stick or something. <laughs> I mean, you have to get it from below is the other thing, and the feet are right there. So yeah. I think you have to assume that as humans evolve to a point to make it hard, easier to defend against butt whipping, we will appear more and more like E.T. with a kind of, uh, with an actual bottom, a flat actual <laughs> bottom yeah 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 like a yeah like a elder thing or something guys how does et poop dan uh well he's not that regular but i mean <laughs> as he's gotten older but you know the, the the actual bowel movements are you know pretty firm and well shaped <laughs> okay not shoots exactly out, what i was asking sh- but okay good enough shoots out he has two cloacas one under each arm oh uh, <laughs> 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 Which so the he only expels when he's frightened <laughs> like a squid. <laughs> what what an amazing way to ruin that movie is if it was like so heartbreaking and so touching, but unfortunately, every time he's surprised, he just shoots shit out of his out his armpits. Oh, it's like man. Stephen, we got to talk to you. The movie is nearly perfect. We we think this has the 
We think this has the potential to be the highest grossing film of all time. And Stephen goes, yeah, because of the poop pits. And they're like, that's the one thing we wanted to talk to you about. He's like, are you sure? Because that tested really well with, with me. He's like, just because because I'm presenting an alien life form scientifically correctly doesn't mean I endorse what is happening on screen. He's like, yeah. look, I talked to all the xenobiologists, and they said, if he's going to have that flat bottom, which you were okay with, he's going to need a place to expel his feces. And it's going to happen when he's scared. Many life forms do this. Yeah. You know what? You convinced oh. us, Stephen. And then when Stephen stopped, they were like, Let's just let's just cut those parts. Let's just do. Let's just cut those when he's while he's napping. And they he was taking a nap in the edit bay, and they tiptoed in, like ding 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 ding, and and just manually cut that stuff. Yeah, sad. Uh, so speaking of cutting, uh, we have Hawk and uh, the Kabuki Clown and Stella Speed, and they are traveling together. Our Holy Trinity is, has finally traveled together. And they get in a fight with some bondage people. That's just what I wrote down. It looks like they're like a weird bond, like a weird. I, I will forgive you if this uh, gets pretty vague, Stuart. Yeah. Don't and worry. Then, uh, <laughs> and then we are once again the Fukusai Ninja shows up this time with a title card, uh, and that is a all metal rollerblading ninja that looks kind of like a Minotaur. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They uh, the fetish couple run away. Uh, Hawk I will I, something out. I want to mention. Stella Speed, she turned out she did okay for herself. She's a multiple Emmy winner, winner as a producer for The Amazing Race. So don't worry, she oh, did. That's, she, oh, that's nice. She escaped the world of Zen filmmaking at some point. So Hawk knocks out the Metal Ninja pretty easily, and they all escape. And after they leave, uh, the Fukusai Ninja, the Metal Ninja, is reanimated by the henchman of Pharaoh, who is a villain we haven't really talked about. Pharaoh is a uh, is a like an older man hmm. who is pushed around in a wheelchair. He has to be in a wheelchair because he had some kind of a skateboarding accident, <laughs> and he has to wear a mask, <laughs> is, uh, which he takes get, off other times. He, like he, he wears it when he's, when outside. he's outside. He has to wear it whenever he's outside because when it's too sunny. His, yeah, it's like some, a leather, it's like reason, a leather face, face his, mask. His mishap with a skateboard has left him vulnerable to the harsh rays of the sun in a way that I can only imagine. I don't, it's, it's, this is, and this is this character where he has these long monologues about, I just wanted people to enjoy the skateboard. I never knew what would happen. As if the downfall society is because of the invention of the skateboard. Yeah, it's pretty great. And I would like to take a moment to. And also to point out, Marty McFly invented the skateboard. When he went mm, back in time, we true. all know that. That's yeah, true. it's Danny in the books. Just like he oh, invented rock and roll. I just wanted to reassure the audience that this is a a movie that exists <laughs> and not sort of a late April Fool's prank we're playing or a collective hallucination we had. Yeah, it's all on YouTube. You can. Yeah. It's proof. It's, it's all it's there. YouTube, Don't watch it's it. Real. It's a waste of your time, but it's there. <laughs> okay, so they are now, uh, our heroes are also joined by this rollerblading banjo player who wears a mask and a top hat and goggles. Um, and he's- This was the most amazing part of the movie to me, where I was like, this movie invented the Doof Warrior before George yeah, Miller invented yeah. Fear Road because uh-huh. he's on wheels, he's got a mask on, he's playing a stringed instrument. I was like, this movie is ahead of its time. You know what, it's actually great. Hell yeah, I had the same thought. <laughs> yeah, it, it, if it if it inspired the greatest character in the history of cinema, yeah. then, you know. I mean, for me, I was like, I hate this guy and I hate his banjo. Uh, and it reminds you of what derailed Steve Martin from being funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and luckily he's not around for long because a different ninja shows up. No, Steve Martin's so, still here. He's only murders in the building. It's a huge show. I mean, he's, you know, a late career. Meryl uh, Streep uh, is on the season. He's, he's funny in the, he, the Martin Short show. That uh, the not 
only murders in the building, that which could Ed also Grimley be called the Martin Short. No, the little the touring thing that they did together. Oh, the oh yeah. Show. The touring yeah. test they took to see if they were computers or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out Martin Short is. Steve Martin isn't. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, okay. So a different ninja surprised them. He kills the banjo player and injures the clown. Uh, and then the uh, and then Stella Speed tries to run for it, but is chased. Uh, Hawk has a samurai duel with one of the ninjas that's really boring and slow. <laughs> um, and then he he gets in a fight with Sister Sparrow's captors um, and leaves, like, ends up killing them. And it seems like she dies. Is this a vision? Is it a dream? I can't really tell. Um, and then uh, Hawk teaches Sister, uh, Stella Speed how to use a sword, which is at odds with her being a pacifist. Uh, so we have a long sequence of them uh, doing kata with their samurai swords. Then we get a, uh, then they like start running around. We get a title card that says back on the road. <laughs> they ride around and battle some more ninjas. This all takes a long time. You this know is what? very of, long. And in between this stuff, there's uh, like Pharaoh is being pushed around and will do like monologues that I couldn't really hear because the sound was bad. Yeah, he, it's hard to make out some of what he's saying. It's all more stuff about the world he created for the most part and him asking things of his sidekick whose name is Stealth. And he'll always stealth. be like, that's stealth. Cool. That's actually a cool character. Stealth, take me for a push. Stealth, is it sunny outside? But it's a funny thing to call somebody. Yeah, he looks like he looks like a variant Storm Shadow action yeah. figure. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool because that's because uh, that's like an evil version of Snake Eyes, who is also but, cool. But this movie, for for this whole chunk, vast vast swathes of it, as an for someone who was raised in England might say, if they're mm-hmm. on a podcast, in America now, uh, that are it's just them either riding around on rollerblades through the same stretches of desert, or them having these slow motion kind of not really choreographed fights. And oh mm-hmm. uh, wow, it is it really feels trying. It's and- really difficult to get through. At a certain point, I'm sure we'll get to it, or maybe we're into it right now. I can't really place anything that happens. In yes. The, like, yeah. characters just <laughs> start dying one by one. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of characters just— and Or appearing in new locations, it. and it's like, I don't know how they got there. That's- needs to cull <laughs> its, its list of characters that I don't know who they are or what they're doing. The problem but, is they're all important. Yeah. So they ride around, they confront Pharaoh in his wheelchair, um, but then his goon stealth shows up carrying an Uzi, which, I mean, that's more that's better than a samurai sword. Yeah. Um, Kabuki it's, runs but off. But it has less honor. That's true, it does. Yeah. Kabuki runs off and is chased by a new warrior who carries two axes, uh, and they get in a fight, and the axe warrior wins, leaving Kabuki dead. Oh, no. Then a uh, a shaman type character shows up and tries to revive Kabuki, but then is whisked away through, I'm guessing, magic to have a conversation <laughs> with the Black Knight, who yeah. is telling her that you know, I don't know something about darkness, and she's talking about lightness. Um, mm. And uh, then uh, Stella Speed is captured uh, by Pharaoh's goons, and her her bottom gets whipped at this point by another uh, thong clad. Uh, evil character. Mm-hmm. This was, for me, this was very much the nadir of the film. This was the one part where it went from, I'm not enjoying this because it's boring, to I'm not enjoying this really because I, I'm i just, this is unpleasant to me. Yeah. yeah. Hawk is also captured, and he is put on trial by Pharaoh in front of 
Pharaoh's United Skates of America, which I kind of <laughs> like that. I'm I mean, like, it took us a while, but we got there. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a shaggy dog story of a movie to get to that one play on words. And I'm like, mm. you should have started with this. Like, if you if this was more in the spirit of a future where it was called the United Skates of America and everything was rollerblade based, I'd be like, you mm-hmm. know what movie? Yes, make that movie. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of flashing lights. Hawk and Stella are put <laughs> yeah, that's in a the movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's Hawk and is. Stella are put in a uh, in a cage together, and then we see a lot of shots of like uh, threatening looking villains and more flashing lights. And uh, Father Donaldo and the Black Knight have some kind of a interaction. Um, <laughs> everybody's trying to like th- threaten them, and then all of a sudden we cut to a wedding. Where uh, where Father Donaldo is giving us a, a wild sermon about how time is different and like you shouldn't let time control you. That you time, control everyone time. admits time exists, but it's not a real thing and it's not physical. Uh-huh. Wait, did you t- did you? I may have gone into a Zen trance while during the summary. Did you talk sure. about the part where is it Stella Speed or is it the sis- sister Sparrow who's being who's sitting in a chair as snakes are being? Dropped on her. It's Sister like, Sparrow, yeah. Like, because it actually, because we saw a vision of it earlier, but now we see it happening, uh-huh. I guess, for real. But it's, it again, it, it just, it feels like the movie at some point, it's like the movie was like, I'm loving this stuff with the rollerblading, and then checked its watch and was like, oh, <laughs> shit, we got to wrap this up. Like, hurry, get through the plot, get through these things. And so they're just throwing events at you, you know? So he's, uh, the priest is marrying Hawk and Alice, I think is the name is her I, name. I you could tell me that any yes. of the characters are named anything, and I would believe you. <laughs> and then they uh, they get onto a motorcycle. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, many times. Many times, like a hundred times. Um, and this. And when is I say many times, it's literally a, like many takes of them getting on a motorcycle, yeah. one after the other, different angles. It's the same. Yeah. Uh, so they, they kind of like ride off into the sunset on his motorcycle, but then Stella Speed is in a car being driven by, uh, Saint Offender played by Joe Estevez. (laughs) And, uh. And we see that car pull out multiple times. We see the car pull out multiple times and, uh, they pull up next to them on the highway. Stella pulls out a Uzi or a pistol or something. And then we see uh, Hawk and his bride have crashed and they're in the dirt. We don't actually see anyone get shot. No. Um, And then- uh, But the bride is apparently dead based on- Seems to be dead. reaction upon regaining consciousness. What's your best guess as to why Stella Speed did this? Uh- she was, uh, her like, brain was corrupted by uh, a skateboard. Uh, she was like, if I can't have you, Hawk, no one can. Because this is, I, I wasn't <laughs> I sure which know. of, I wasn't sure which of, I was like, is she jealous or is that she's been turned to the dark side by these, by these villains? But uh, and it was, it was, all, it was all very, like, I, it, yeah. anyway, it, it was at the point where I was starting to question if I had understood which characters were which, because it's, it's Hawk. It's a bunch of dudes, and except for except, and it's mostly just blonde women who look pretty similar playing each of the, most of the uh-huh. other parts. And, and so I was like, "Wait, did I, is this a character that I thought was a different character?" It's yeah. very hard to, to tell them apart. Well, because the bride character I think is a new, completely new character. At this point. That confused um, me. I thought at first that he was marrying Stella Speed or possibly his sister. Yes, that's what I was assuming. And yeah. so Hawk stands up. He like does like a little 
I think he does like a little kata thing with his samurai sword. Uh-huh. And then he then he wanders off and then his bride, her body disappears. And then I think his motorcycle disappears. And then that's the movie. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> um, guys, who were the rollerblade seven? <laughs> that's a very complicated question that I don't know if we can answer. I'm guessing Hawk is one of them. Okay. So we have Hawk, Stella Speed. Uh-huh. We have Kabuki. So that's sure. three. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, I mean, maybe some of the bad Jimbo guys are part Kearney. of the Rollerblade 7. Yeah, maybe and, the Fukusai uh, Ninja. Nelson. And uh, Grumpy. Grumpy? <laughs> yeah, yep. Dopey. Sleepy. Yeah, Sleepy. Uh-huh. Sneezy. Sloth. <laughs> Brad Pitt. <laughs> Brad Pitt. <laughs> Brad Pitt's in 7, dude. Yeah, oh. yeah, of course. Uh, so, oh, you're, um, you, that's the sloth you're talking about. I thought you were doing Goonies. thought you meant the animal. <laughs> the, the, yeah. uh, the, uh, so on the poster for the Rollerblade 7, it shows mm-hmm. Hawk, and then on either side of him are three women with rollerblades. And I only re- recognize Stella Speed and the Kabuki clown uh, mm-hmm. lady. And maybe in the first movie, there's seven... Like good guy warriors, like it's. It, so this is the rollerblade four in this case, is what you're is, saying. I mean, if anything, it's the rollerblade three because I don't know because it's not like this because Sister Sparrow is not really on rollerblades, right? So yeah, and they specifically only mention uh, a trio of of heroes, but it's it's okay, it's fine. I mean, they're trying to cash in on the very valuable rollerblade seven franchise <laughs> name. Yeah. Well, they're trying to cash in on Return of the Sakaka Seven, of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> John Sales' picture. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. About well, in his I'm, his original script, they were all on rollerblades. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, John that was can't like, afford these rollerblades. Yeah, because he, yeah. he was inspired by how when they made the Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. they're like, you know what, uh, Kurosawa couldn't afford rollerblades for his samurai. So in the the Western version, we're going to do rollerblades. We have a Hollywood budget. We can do the rollerblades. So they did yeah. the rollerblades, and then it just didn't go over well with test audience, so they had to digitally remove the rollerblades yeah. and all the scenes and add horses under them. Exactly. <laughs> and then there was the return of the Magnificent Seven in which they had to digitally remove that poop shot out of the armpits of each of the cowboys <laughs> when they got surprised. <laughs> But it's the only thing that made sense. It's the only thing that made sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you explained the way a callback works. Yeah. They had to, they, just in case this section is cut out for, uh, say, as a clip, I want to make sure people know that that is not a random reference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, they, uh, that was the, but that was the earliest digital technology, was removing those rollerblades and then inserting mm-hmm. horses in the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. So uh, that was the whole movie. Stuart. Uh, it's, I, I thought I did an okay job. Thank God. It was, uh, you did a great <laughs> job. Uh, I kept it tight because you know what? Honestly, so much of this movie is just reused footage, and there's no almost no dialogue and lots of uh, mm-hmm. now uh, like he, I'm like the music that you'd probably hear in a coffee shop that was near Scott Shaw's house. And well, that, that last se- that last sequence after they get married, there's a long rock song about whatever happened to America. Um, whatever happened to the, it's the pride of the Yankees. And like, uh, Oh, I didn't even hear that part. Oh, he didn't hear yeah. this long song. Maybe, I wonder if we saw different YouTube videos with different soundtracks possibly. I, that, man, that's awesome. That's like this, how Spider-Verse is different. It's a long <laughs> song that feels like it's being performed by like a band that would play at a local bar. And, yeah. but it's all about yeah, whatever happened to America. Someone, a guy went to war, he came home and raised a family. And now what happened to that promise? And it's a very. Oh, like born if, in the USA. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of. I mean, like a, it was like a not rip off of Born in the USA. Yeah, and uh, it's it, like a it, Born in the USA if it doesn't actually is not actually taking a harsh look at uh, you know like 
patriotism. It felt like it was the, the opposite. It was like, it, it feels like it is the, maybe it's the conservative response to born in the USA. Yeah. Where it's like, like, why don't we, why like don't we the, love this country anymore? Yeah. It's like the song version of the Easy Rider sequel. Yes, exactly. And so I'm curious, I'm, I'm curious you guys didn't hear that song because that played over the entire oh, I, ending I of the movie. That. I mean, oh, I probably okay. heard it. I just wasn't <laughs> yeah. You, you just You were so busy trying to figure out the movie for the notes yeah. that, whereas um, I, who... Free of having to take notes on the summary of this yeah. movie, I was I felt very free to to it, experience it in my own way. Here's the okay, yeah. guys. I had, I had a big whiteboard that had all the different characters and plot threads drawn out, <laughs> like I was watching Primer and trying to understand it. Yeah, uh, here's my so guys. Here's here's my question. The same director, without Scott uh-huh. Shaw, he also made a movie called Rollerblade Warriors Taken by Force from 1989. Here's the description on IMDb. In the future, Roller Gator. But in the in the future, a warrior nun on roller skates must rescue a seer who is to be sacrificed by a band of mutants. And it makes me wonder, is that the, like, coherent version of this movie? Maybe. Because that, so- that sounds like this movie, but did, were they able to do it in a way where the story made any sense at all? It I, wasn't Zen filmmaking. I thought you were going to yeah. be like, is that this guy's fetish? <laughs> People on roller boys. That's very yes. possible. That's very possible. That's, I mean, uh, just, he thought he heard the song Sex on Wheels and he was like, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, yeah. He saw Boogie Nights and he's like, oh, I could have just put this in a normal movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's do our final judgments, whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, a movie we kind of like. Uh, it, like I said, I have- <laughs> I, always love, I always love Dan's conf- <sighs> like troubled sigh after he announces what the ratings are. Well, like I, like I said, early in the movie, I had a certain amount of like, you know, I I had hopes that it would have at Rhonda least- Shear-sized hopes. Rhonda Shear-sized hopes. <laughs> well, but also like the way that it was kind of making good use of its no budget in a way that I appreciate with these kind of like post-apocalyptic, weird movies, um, low-budget films that you see. I- that hope was dashed as it went along, and nothing made any sense at all. I, I, I'd say it's a bad, bad movie with the caveat that, like, if this was a video installation that ran on loop <laughs> and it was just like a fantasia on the idea of low-budget post-apocalyptic movies, I would enjoy stopping by watching a little bit of it and moving on to the next exhibit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is – well, this – this is the kind of movie that they would play. Like I could see them playing this at the bar Freddy's in Brooklyn, mm. where one of the one of the owners uh, would like cut together these weird little video reels. Uh, and this is the, like this feels like that, like the sort of thing where you're like, oh, it doesn't make sense, but it you know it, it looks weird, and I'm drinking. Yeah, um, I would say yeah, it's. I can't say it's necessarily a good bad movie because I don't think it's fun to watch. And it wouldn't necessarily be fun to watch with other people. Um, it like you could put it on in the background at a party, yes, but not something like you would want to watch to get any pleasure out of. <laughs> so I'll, I guess I'll say bad, bad. Yeah, I think I'm also going to say bad, bad. And I had not, I had not thought of uh, the idea of using it as kind of like uh, like atmospheric wallpaper. Yeah. At a, at an event, but I think that's the best way to use it. I, I, Dan, I appreciate that you you thought of like a a silver lining way to uh, use what is objectively <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a piece of garbage, just like obje- objectively <laughs> something that is barely a movie. And ba- and the idea, I feel like it, if anything, um, maybe disproves the philosophy or concept of Zen filmmaking. It is this this product of that 
of that. Uh, although maybe the original Rollerblade 7's really good. Maybe it really holds mm-hmm. together. Maybe it's really fun. Maybe it's exciting. Maybe it has a kind of trippy, weird vibe that really takes mm-hmm. you to an interesting mm-hmm. place. Probably mm-hmm. not. Judging by this, probably mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. But yeah. You know what? Let us move on now. Please. Out of the <laughs> out of the wasteland. But Stuart, you did a great job. I'm gonna I wanna give you a medal yeah. sometimes. Yeah, for, yeah, for yeah, yeah. Everybody write your local congressman and tell him that Stuart did a great job. <laughs> did a great job summarizing <laughs> the legend of the Roller Blade Seven, and they should drop all other business until mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. You know what might help you enjoy something like Legend of the Roller Blade Seven if uh I don't know, a judge sentences you to watch it as uh you know, for for littering or something, I don't know, Uh, (laughs) is microdosing. (laughs) Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. If you want to, you know, if you're interested in maybe having some THC, but you don't want to be zonked out, you just want to feel, as they say, just the right amount of good. I've had good experiences with these Lumilab gummies, um... They don't taste bad like some THC products do. Uh, they, uh, you know, allow a little more mental flexibility in my life. Mm. I've enjoyed them. If you want to try them, Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code FLOP, that's F-L-O-P, to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that is microdose.com, code FLOP. We're also today sponsored by Squarespace. You know, these days everybody is online and you should be online and you (laughs) should have a place for people to go visit you online and Squarespace is where you can do that. Uh, Squarespace is your all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You, you're a brand, and you got to build that thing. Uh, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything. If you're not necessarily the most adept person at coding, Squarespace is going to help you out. Uh, Squarespace allows you to gain some insights into who's visiting your website and how they're interacting with your content. Squarespace has the tools you need to get your business off the ground. So if you want to go to the next step, and go from brand to business, Squarespace has you covered with things like e-commerce templates, inventory management, a simple checkout process, and secure payments. <laughs> also, Squarespace has uh, is uses the Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system uh, with uh, best-in-class website templates. Custom, uh, you can customize every design detail with reimagined drag and drop technology. You know, I love the drag and drops uh, for desktop or for mobile. That's important because everybody's on their phone these days. So why don't you go to squarespace.com slash flop for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code flop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. And we also have a Jumbotron to read today. And this message is for Mickey, and it's from Rob. And it says, happy birthday, Mickey. Congratulations on your upcoming gender-affirming surgery. I and the entire family love and support you in everything you do. Thank you for the amazing conversations about all things movies, as well as your moving role play in everything I DM. It is a joy being your brother and sharing passions like the Flophouse. Thank you. Oh, what a sweet message. That's very sweet. That's very nice. Now to a slightly less sweet message because it's all about 
Mer- our own mercantile economic Sweet stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet to us. Hey, we do this monthly thing. It's called Flop Hi. TV. It's usually, oh, hey, Dan. It's, <laughs> we, we do this monthly thing. It's usually the first Saturday of each month. In fact, I think each of the upcoming episodes is the first yeah, Saturday of we don't each have month. To, we don't have to disclaim anything. New Cap yeah, the one that is We passed the one the that first. it wasn't. And where we do a roughly one-hour TV version of the Flophouse podcast where we're talking about movies that we have never covered on the podcast before. We have two great episodes so far, Beastmaster 2 and Cool World. All and great movies. We've got another one coming up <laughs> on October 7th. That's right, October 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. It's an all-American meat double feature, I'm calling it. Hot Dog the Movie and Hamburger the Motion Picture. Two movies that I'm really, I'm going to find out they're not just about making those things, and I'm going to be real disappointed, but (laughs) we'll see. Well, I know for a fact that one of them is not. Yeah, one of them I think is a skiing movie, right? Yeah. Which is, is, the other is legit about the food item. Let's see which. Let's let's find out which one it is. So if you want to see those shows, they're really fun. They're super great. It's like watching a TV show. It usually fits into like a normal programming schedule time slot in case you have other things you want to do around those times. If you want to see the inside of our homes. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Except for two, two of ours. Elliot puts up a, a virtual background. Just he the, remains my, a man of mystery. I don't really have a good home background. But mm-hmm. you want to see it? Go to theflophouse.simpletix.com. Again, that's theflophouse.simpletix.com where you can buy tickets. You can buy individual tickets. You can buy a season pass. And you're like, hey, it's a six-episode season. Two episodes have gone by. Why should I get the season pass? Uh-oh, uh Because the recordings of those episodes will stay up through the length of the series. So if you missed one of our episodes, that's totally great. You can still watch them. If you can't watch the show live, that's totally great. You can watch the recording later. So that's the Flop TV at theflophouse.simpletix.com. You get your tickets and you get instructions on how to watch the show. But hey, guys, there's another show we're doing. What? It's not just on your computer. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's In fact, it's not on your computer at all. It's in a real room in real life with real mm-hmm. people. And things Meat are going to start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ironically, because it's not about Hot Dog the Movie or Hamburger the Motion Picture. <laughs> this is the actual Meat Space on October 19th. That's a Thursday night here in Los Angeles at Vidiots, the Vidiots Movie Theater. We're going to be doing two original shows. That's right, two all-new shows at 6 p.m. We're going to be talking about Speed 2, Cruise Control. And at 8.45 p.m., we're going to be talking about Three Men and a Baby. And Three Men and a Baby is going to it's going to feature a certain special someone who's mm-hmm. going to join us as a special is it, guest. Is it Willem Dafoe covered in leeches? <sighs> You ruined the surprise yet again, Stu. I don't even yes. know what that's referencing. <laughs> it just seems like an no, odd thing to a, say. A favorite Flophouse guest is going to be joining us again. A, a guest, but you could also say a Flophouse star of the show. Wink, wink, wink. I am oh. so excited to do these shows because, you know, we're not— I'm not writing for TV right now. I got no excuse to go out to L.A. I'm going to get to go to L.A. I'm going to see my friend— uh, Elliot Kalen, I'm going to see my friend, unnamed special guest, and uh, <laughs> it's going to be great. So that's all, and Stuart's going to be there too. October 19th, yeah. Dan sees frequently. <laughs> October 19th, uh, tickets are available at vidiotsfoundation.org. Again, that's vidiotsfoundation.org. Uh, two different shows. We're going to be doing presentations. We're going to talk about the movie. We'll take questions from the audience. An old-fashioned, classic, traditional Flophouse Live show. And We'll be, it's a double feature, you know, two and one. You need separate tickets for each one, though. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to it, too. Vidiots is a great space. It's got a great video store attached to it. Uh, and I'm so excited to be doing something through them and with them. And that's the extent of our promotions for this episode. 
If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I. Hmm. Are you trying to put the name of the podcast there? Yeah, I'm trying to spell it, but it's tricky. Let me give it a try. Okay. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, call S-T-O-P-P-P-A-D. Ah, it'll never fit. No, it will. Let me try. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-P-D-C-O-O. Ah, we are so close. Stop podcasting yourself. A podcast from MaximumFun.org. If you need a laugh and you're on the go. I'm Ify Wadiway, the host of Maximum Film. I'm Alonzo Duralde, also the host of Maximum Film. And I'm Drea Clark, yet another host of Maximum Film. Every week, we host Huddle Up. Usually with an illustrious guest. And we talk about films. We have film news. We have film quizzes. We answer your film questions. It's like the maximum amount of film talk. That's why we call it Maximum Maximum Film. Maximum Film, the movie podcast that's not just a bunch of straight white guys. New episodes weekly on MaximumFun.org. Dan, what do we do next? We just rollerblade off into the wasteland? Well, not quite yet. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to answer some uh, letters from listeners. Like you? Like you, especially if you wrote these letters. Uh, The first one... Pardon me, I'm uh, burping up a storm. The first one is What if that was... What if, Dan... Mm. You yeah. can't pitch movies during the strike, but afterwards, uh-huh. Burp Storm is a pretty good concept to pitch. <laughs> ah, there's a storm of burps hitting I mean, the city at the same time that a prisoner is being transferred. A decade yep. or two back, sci-fi would have snapped that up, right? Yep. Oh, for sure, right. oh, yeah. There, there goes my knee again. It must be a burp storm coming. <laughs> and a general yelling at a scientist, how far away is the burp storm? Did that storm eat some barbecue? <laughs> the only way to defeat it is with a countervailing burp storm operating at opposite speeds in the opposite mm. direction. <laughs> throw, throw some Alka-Seltzer into that storm. Um, Get okay. me eating competition champion Joey Chestnut. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only man who knows how to counter He's, this level of He's burp. the only man who can ingest enough beans to counteract the storm. Um, this... First letter is from Hansel from Chicago, mm-hmm. who writes, mm-hmm. while listening to your episode on the Santa Claus 3, I realized that mental health care treatment in Christmas movies is often maligned for reasons. Not just Christmas movies, but anyway. Lots of uh, movies, in the, yeah. And the Santa Claus trilogy, Judge Reinhold's therapist character in the, is the original movie's primary antagonist uh, in... Hey, do you just know Santa Claus is a Christmas movie? A lot of people don't know that. Oh. Like Die Hard. Yeah, like Die Hard, you, Santa Claus also. Is that listed in the trivia section of IMDb? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. In 2019's Noel, Anna Kendrick, spoilers, is arrested in Phoenix, then detained in a mental health ward for saying she's from the North Pole. And that sounds kind of reasonable, but anyway. In Elf, Buddy is called certifiably insane by James Caan. It is a repeated trope of the genre, which adds little value to the story. This reminded me of comments Elliot has made about how um, many about how many movies portray conspiracy theories as real and valid, um, which is at best lazy and at worst a troubling validation of conspiracy thinking in real life. Beyond real conspiracy theories and inaccurate mental health portrayals, are there any other alarming movie portrayals you want to complain about? What really grinds your gears? Keep on flopping. Hansel from Chicago. 
Uh, we talked about USA Up All Night earlier. Uh, the thing that sprung to my mind I will is, have not have a word said against it, Daniel. <laughs> uh, a lot of the sex comedies I enjoyed as a youth uh, you know, upon closer, closer, <laughs> not that close examination, uh, are filled with upon, bad messages. Upon in, a cursory glance. Including uh, that coercive sex is okay. Yeah. Uh, peeping yeah. is okay. Uh, it is amazing general how harassment. Uh, peep, peeping, this was not what I was going to bring up, but you're right that peeping for many years in movies was considered like, Oh, what a lovably scampish hijinks. thing to do. What yeah, a hijinks. Yeah, yeah. If anything, this is a hero for spying on these women while they're changing clothes or whatever. And it's that's horrifying. That's terrible. Yeah. yeah. And even on a a lesser like level, like romantic comedies just had like a bunch of bad messages about not taking no for an well, answer. Well, that, that's like, what I actually wanted to talk about. Is yeah. I, feel, I feel like one of the most dangerous messages that that I guess the movies we grew up with presented, and it's not just the movies we grew up with, but it was, I feel like it was especially prevalent because there were so many kind of romantic comedies of this type when we were growing up, is the idea that not just is both the idea of a kind of fairly depressing guy who Mm -hmm. has a crush on someone and the movie insists that the only just thing in the universe is for that crush to blossom into love with right. the other person uh, returning their feelings, but also that idea that if you don't take no, you can wear someone down into romance. Or if you do something big enough or crazy enough or yeah. persistent enough that eventually they will give in in a way that is a legitimate form of romance. I think that's genuinely a vi- no, genuinely emotionally damaging message, both to women who would become, I assume, the, the targets of this, and also to men who don't learn how to mature into emotionally adult human beings, you know, who understand wait, what love wait, and romance are. Traditionally, their fathers don't teach them how to be emotionally uh, <laughs> emotionally mature uh, human beings. That's No, weird. not at all. Not at all. In some cases, it's the other way around often. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, that was yeah, what I, I wanted mean, to bring up. I feel like, oh, wow, it's raining outside. Um, not over be, here in sunny L.A. <laughs> must be so God, I hope you enjoyed that God report crying. of what God the weather was about like all the bad in movies we Brooklyn uh, about two weeks before you're hearing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's less of a weather forecast and more of a weather flashback, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here we are in this two weeks ago weather flashback weekend. And, and what do we play? We're playing some <laughs> rain. Is coming down. <laughs> I'm the I'm I'm Sam Flashback, the only weather <laughs> forecaster who's always right because I say it after the fact. <laughs> Stuart, I'll tell you, you like down you're... to the minute when the rain started and stopped, so you can plan your past. Um, yeah, I think I mean I think you guys kind of touched on the first thing that popped into my head, but obviously there's a variety of other things like uh, I don't know portraying police as heroes, <laughs> sure, <laughs> uh, or like uh, jokes about. Uh, like obese people, like stuff like that, gross yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, the, uh, I just rewatched. I, mean, uh, I, mean, I just rewatched. And there's uh, also there's also huge, you know, and also racism in in all. Forms, yeah, of course. Certainly, know, the like elevation that. of the idea of like the cop who doesn't play by the rules. Yeah, that's <laughs> just bad. like no, thank you. I would nope. like a cop that plays by all the rules. Well, please. I will, I will, <laughs> Maybe because, give him more rules. <laughs> I mean, when a when a when a police officer uh, is on the side of of the actual of the actual just thing that would happen in a un, in in the world, the universe, like. That can be a heroic story, but yeah, the, the the valorization of cops who are that what makes them heroic is that they refuse to follow even the most basic laws and rely on violent force to get things done. Like that's a bad message yeah. to send. 
And mm-hmm. uh, the it, the uh, and that the eventually leads you to things like cops being like, yeah, that's why I have a Punisher skull on my on my mm-hmm. on my stuff. And it's like, well, you know that he's a he's a murderer. <laughs> like that's the guy. You know that <laughs> maniac cop is the bad guy in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, but yeah, that's a. I feel like uh, this is something I see a little bit less of. But I feel like the there was a period when, for a lot of times in movies, you'd see this kind of implicit idea that there's something romantic about being kind of depressed. And that to be creative yeah. requires a certain amount of depression and emotional alienation and social isolation, which is mm-hmm. also not a healthy message, you know? No. Yeah. Um, so this next letter, this is from uh, uh, Michael, last name without, or perhaps Michelle, depending on what uh, Imperioli. this is from. Michelle um, Imperioli, yeah, the French version. <laughs> Dear Flophouse, something that has been bugging me lately about movies and TV mm-hmm. is the apparent lack of dialect diversity, as in there don't seem to be any oh. regional or even foreign accent these days. There's a single standard American accent, in quotes, that everyone seems to share. And then at most, you might get some people who speak with an extra Californian voice, but not much more than that. Every now and then someone's Southern. Every now and then. Yes. Have you noticed this at all? Am I just not watching enough? Does it even really matter? It might make me sad that no one on TV sounds like my grandparents from upstate New York and Oklahoma, but it's not like they're ethnic minorities. While modern Hollywood does more work at representing people than ever before, even if they mostly just all sound the same. It just bugs me personally that this is a whole dimension to the human experience that isn't seeming to be used. This also seems to be in contrast with media from England, where there's a lot more regional or socioeconomic accents as well as things from Japan that often have trouble translating their own dialect diversity into American media. So translators sometimes use English accents to bulk out their tool set. Or even older American media, which seems to freely use a lot more accents than the current stuff. So there's not really a direct question there, but it was an interesting topic. I wanted to bring it up. Is this something you've noticed yourselves? Well, older media featured a lot of like old-timey New York accents, right? Like... Hey, see. Yeah. Well, I feel like there is a there is a kind of New York Boston mishmash accent that gets used a lot by guys who are supposed to be like in crime movies or if they're yeah. say Tom Hardy playing Venom or just well, I mean like that's this- a case where I hear those accents in movies and TV more often than I do in my actual life in New York most of the yeah. time. I, but, I think uh, there's I think what what uh what the letter writer is talking about is probably a real I think there's a there's an an effort being made for racial diversity in casting, but there's not really an effort being made in diverse types of viewpoint or, and especially not socioeconomic diversity in film. At a certain point, almost every movie seemed to be about a rich person, unless it was, yeah. you know, fucking uh, Hillbilly Junction. What was the movie? Hillbilly Elegy? <laughs> Hill, unless Hillbilly it's, Junction. <laughs> unless, it's, unless it's about Welcome somebody. to Hillbilly Junction. <laughs> this, it's, sure it's, it's is not good what, to have you here. It's not what you think. It was named after Thaddeus Hillbilly. It was named after Duke <laughs> Thaddeus, Thaddeus Hillbilly who founded this, this who, who sponsored the exploration that led to this colony. But uh, the, so I think there's a, at, at a certain point, Hollywood, uh, or rather mainstream American film and television stopped making as much stuff about people who are not rich because I think there's a fantasy of affluence and it's just easier and this and it's it just is prettier to look at on screen. And so I mean I, also I think a lot of the people who are the money people behind movies, greenlighting movies, yes, 
you know, are rich. So they not don't. necessarily the creative people involved, but yes, the, yes. the money people want something that, that they can understand and relate to. And mm-hmm. I think that does involve a flattening of accents, a flattening of uh, types of character personality. Yeah, they're personality. like, well, why is this character not driving a Tesla? I would also... <laughs> He seems like a reasonable person. Why <laughs> Whereas, would he be driving a Tesla? And there is a very and in America for I'm the I'm the, the thousand millionth person to say this. There is a blindness to the existence of class in many ways, and it's something that we used to pride ourselves on that we don't have fixed classes, and that turned into this idea that America has no classes and we don't need to talk about it. Whereas in England, they're super. They're still super in a class system, and like you can still you they still kind of take this perverse pride in being able to judge and pigeonhole somebody by what neighborhood they came from based on how they pronounce different words and things like that. So I think when they're comparing it to British stuff, it's just still such a fact of British culture, you know? Well, also, like, my God, my take on it. England has so many different accents. In such a and, small well, space. For such a small space, yeah. Uh, I also, one thing I would like to posit is that a lot of it has to do with, you know, obviously most movies are shot in Hollywood, and for financial reasons, they don't like to shoot on location. And now that so many things are just CGI'd in any way, like there's even less reason for people to shoot on location, even when that adds so much in terms of like character and if you're like hiring local actors. Well, I mean, the fact that like you, so much is shot in Atlanta now, but yeah. it's mm-hmm. not like things have an Atlanta flavor to them or anything yeah. like that because it is all on digital sound stages and stuff like that. And, and I yeah. feel like also uh, even with like animated work, there's such a push for like known uh, non-animation actors to do yeah. all the voices. And you're like, but they all have boring sounding voices. I want voice actors who have cool, weird sounding voices. I feel like this, it, it's all, this is a, it's a, it's kind of like a one consequence of that larger kind of, cultural flattening that people have been complaining about in America for many decades that like the idea of regional things is not quite the same because everyone goes to the same chain stores and goes to, and has watches the same shows on TV, listens to the same songs. Mm -hmm. I mean, ironically, like, except for like how to with John Wilson. Well, the thing, the, the, the most thing New is, York thing in the world. Yes, that's true. Well, the, the that well, I mean, there's obviously lots of exceptions. It's funny because people are always like, our culture is too fractured. Nobody, nobody shares a common thing, but at the same time, the genu- general flavor of culture has kind of become this, for the most part, a tepid mishmash. Whereas in the past, like, you also would see like regional filmmaking where it was like, this movie is for this particular market. Like, we know yeah. we can make this this much money in this market. So we're going to make a movie that is aimed at that market. And now it's much more of a like, well, every movie is going to cost us two to $700 million. Right. So, we so can't, it has it to have the widest specific. possible appeal. And the most you can get towards a dialect is like, there's the immigrant shopkeeper who goes like, yeah, Spidey, as Spider-Man swings by, you know. Yeah. Okay, well, um, let's move on to the final segment, Why which not? is recommendations, uh, things that would be a better use of your time than <laughs> The Legend of the Rollerblade 7. I um, mean, it's hard to imagine something that would be a worse use of your time than The Legend of Rollerblade 7. Yeah. Like, taking just taking a just taking a club and hitting yourself over the head with it, that would, wow. I guess, would be a worse use of your time, you know. Jeez, Louise. Uh, so like just, just like <laughs> just locking yourself in a bank vault for a year, like that would be a worse use of your time. Yeah. While, uh, the writer's guild is on strike sag after as well, of course, but we're Elliot and I are members of the writer's guild. You're mm-hmm. behind um, camera talent is what you're saying. Yes. We are not pretty enough to be featured. I don't know. Dan, Dan played a, played Santa Claus once in that, that, uh, daily show episode, right? 
That's true. And Stuart and I were, of course, in yeah. the major motion picture Snatchers. Yeah. <laughs> we were in the major motion picture Snatchers. And I think there was a little guy oh, named yeah, Tube yeah. Man. But we're not talking about me. We're talking and about course, you guys. And that was a voice only. So you were not in front of the camera for that. Uh-huh. But, but that's you did why look I'm saying we need pretty. more great voice actors like me. Uh, no, we're, we're trying to recommend things that aren't uh, current media at the very least. And uh, boy, am I recommending something that you know, uh, people probably <laughs> don't watch in general uh, that frequently. It's called The Dog Dark Fighting? Backward. Daniel. <laughs> it's called, no. Yeah. no, it's a movie called The Dark Backward from 1991, directed uh, by yeah. Adam Rifkin yeah. of oh. uh, Invisible Maniac fame. Uh, it is a movie set, like, talk about low-budget dystopias. It is set in this weird garbage world that feels like sort of a Pee-wee's Playhouse version of Delicatessen by way of, like, the grossest Monty Python sketch you would see. And it has Judd Nelson playing a, an extremely sweaty, introverted, bad uh, stand-up comic. And it has Bill Paxton playing his best friend who's like, if you think Bill Paxton is giving it his all in Aliens, like, like 10 times that amount, it is, like, full on like over the top but beautiful Bill Paxton and he like moves from being sort of all like chummy uh like best friend to like chillingly <laughs> unfeeling from scene to scene. What a, a what a talent. Yeah. RIP. Have you seen this Stuart? You were nodding along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a film that is like about it is like really trying to make things as unpleasant for you as possible, but in a weirdly sweet kind of way. Like there's something about mm. it that doesn't just feel like edgelord unpleasantness. It just feels like, <laughs> I don't know, like what if we put a bunch of trash in your eyes but made you enjoy <laughs> it somehow? Uh, I had a lot of fun watching it. Like there's stuff in it that like I really, really laughed at. I think it repeats itself a little, maybe it's a little long. Like Adam Rifkin wrote this screenplay when he was like 19. So I think we can forget him, forgive him for uh, maybe hammering a few things a little too much. But uh, it's a, if you're a fan of weird movies, if me talking about how unpleasant a lot of it is intrigued you rather than put you off, you might like this movie. Uh, as, as Dan said, we're trying not to recommend new stuff. And in fact, I'm not going to recommend a movie at all today. I'm going to recommend uh, my favorite board game from the last couple of years. I'm going to recommend a game called Root. Uh, it's put out by, published by Later Games. It's uh, created by Cole Worley, one of my favorite game designers. I try to play all of his games. Root is a asymmetric uh, war game with very cute little animal creatures that are fighting for control over a woodland and uh, all the various factions play completely differently. As a fan of game systems, I find it kind of fascinating. But as a gameplay experience, it is one where uh, you are kind of constantly, uh, there's uh, constant player interaction, uh, which I like. I like a game where everybody at the table is, do like, in order to do something, you are, uh, you are getting in somebody else's way and it forces interaction between players as, a, as opposed to like, you know, a complicated solitaire type game. Uh, Root is very cute. You can get it at specialty game shops. Uh, if you like a challenging game experience, why don't you check it out? Um, and I think it also, it just started being sold at Target. So uh, it's available out there. R-O-O-T, Root, check it out. And I'm going to recommend uh, also a, a movie. I'm not going to recommend a game, but... 
I recommend a movie that I guess you could make a game out of if you wanted to. If you, well, probably not actually. It's uh, okay, Ellie. Clue, we right? you for not recommending a game. Can't figure. Can't figure out. Yeah, well, maybe I'll. Yeah, it's called Rubik's Cube. It's a cube, and you Rubik, and <laughs> you just Rubik around. I made a show it's, about it. Uh, Elliot's <laughs> recommending Escape Room Tournament of Champions. <laughs> That's odd for Elliot, but I'll go along with it. So uh, this uh, a movie I want to recommend is a short documentary uh, that Martin Scorsese directed in 1978 called American Boy. And this is uh, a series of stories being told uh, by Stephen Prince, who is best known to me as the man who played the gun dealer in Taxi Driver, who uh, was is handing off all that stuff. That stuff. But you want to— New Cadillac with pink slip. I'll get it for you, that kind of stuff. Uh, he was someone who worked in um, kind of stage management and uh, live performance tech. And he tells a series of stories about growing up in the United States in the 50s and his experiences working that become increasingly dark as they become more and more about his experiences as a drug addict and with violence. And he's a, he's a an entertaining storyteller, but the stories themselves kind of like get harsher and harsher in a way that I never found disturbing, but instead it it feels like you are uh you are seeing both sides of kind of the American story because this is interspersed with home movie footage of him as a little kid where you're hearing about his family, his upbringing, being, you know, growing up in the the time that our parents grew up in. And then you're hearing about these kind of underworld tales and and ter- sometimes just uh, frightening things and sometimes just uh, decadent things. And among the stories he tells, one involves him having to stab a woman undergoing an overdose with an adrenaline needle. And it was that story that uh, inspired that scene in Pulp Fiction. So if you want to know the, mm. I guess, true life event that inspired that that famous scene, uh, he's talking about it. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a movie I've been, I had been wanting to see for a long time. And I recently was able to. And it is, I found it very entertaining and riveting considering it's just a guy sitting down telling these stories. Although it opens with, it's one of the few interview documentaries that somehow opens with a fight scene, and uh, you'll you'll see how that happens uh, if you watch it. And it's called The Boy and His Blob? What's it called? <laughs> it's called <laughs> oh, it's the called, video game. It's called A Boy and His Blob. It's, it's called Toe Jam and Earl. Yep. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's called and American Earl Boy. in this economy? <laughs> it's called Cocker's Bad nice. Fur Day. Uh... And those are the names of some video games from our past. <laughs> they are, yeah. I mean, we can mention more if you want. Can't Marble Madness, it. Bubble Bobble, yeah. <laughs> it's all true. Kid Icarus. And so, remember <laughs> when Hallie was like, I played Kid Icarus too. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, everyone. Uh, before I go, one more plug. If you go to theflophouse.simplex.com, you can buy tickets for Flop TV if that's a thing that interests you. If you are in the L.A. area... Uh, we have shows coming up at Vidiots in October. You can buy through their website. Go to vidiotsfoundation.org. Uh, yeah, I will hopefully remember to put a website uh, link on our site as well by then. Um, and I would like to thank our producer, uh, Alex Smith, who goes by the name Howell Dotty on various uh, internet sites uh look up his work including his own podcast fast track um go to maximumfun.org our podcasting network to find other great shows if you like this show we are supported entirely well not entirely we get a little advertising but in overwhelming amount by listeners 
yeah. uh, through memberships of Max Fund. If you cannot afford at this point to support us that way, you can spread the word about the Flop House. It's very helpful for us. If you uh, have the moment, take uh, some time and leave us a good review on iTunes. If you have a, a bad good review, one, please. If you have a bad mm-hmm. review, you can write it down, Tell put it in an envelope, best. and slip it down the sewers uh, for Michelangelo just, just, and Donatello. <laughs> no, because then the, the, the Ninja Turtles might not listen to the podcast. <laughs> if you have a bad review, write it on paper, just put it in an envelope, shove it up your butt. We don't need to hear it. <laughs> but if you do leave us a negative review, please be clear if it's because you don't enjoy our politics so that we can then dismiss your negative review out of hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, I guess that's all I have to say about that. For the flop house, I've been Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen saying, hey guys, let's roll. On on wheels, on rollerblade wheels. That's cool. Okay, no, I cool, like it. Cool, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Unroll cool. wait, hold on, let me try it again. Guys, let's rollerblade. Does that work? No, it's not as cool. Okay, how about this? Guys, let's seven. <laughs> mm, one more. Hey guys. Let's end the show. Bye. Banger. Hey, everyone, and welcome to... No, that's not how it starts. We got to do an intro first. Not at all. Not at all. Okay. And it goes like this. On this episode, we discuss The Legend of the Rollerblade 7. Part two in our Legends series. (laughs) (laughs) A legendary small member. Okay, let's go. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.